study everybody glad you're here it's exciting it's been a little bit since we had a bible study so uh, glad to be back and back at it so let's take a few moments we'll pray ask God's blessing on our time and then we will get moving forward into our bible study so let's pray father thanks for uh, just uh, the power of your holy spirit tonight we thank you that he's here He's empowering. We thank you that he is bringing anointing for teaching. We ask God that we would have anointing to hear, to receive, and to apply what you say tonight. We ask that we would have ears to hear. So God, we pray that you'd move in our midst. We welcome you here. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would direct our time. You would direct, God, what we are doing, hearing, proclaiming, listening to, speaking, What's happening here, I just ask that it would be under your hand, under your direction, and in your power. So God, have your way tonight. I pray for change. I pray for life. I pray, God, for freedom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's uh, open up to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. If you need a Bible, locate it on the tables. Feel free to use the Bible tonight. So we're going to open up to a couple different places. The first is Hebrews chapter 12, uh, and make sure you kind of keep a finger in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll have you read that in a second, but also Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Our main thing that we're going to be looking at is that of Hebrews 12, but I wanted to start with some Ecclesiastes, too, because we're going to draw a contrast tonight. The verse we're looking at draws a contrast, but we're going to draw a bigger biblical contrast between two perspectives, two points of view, two ways of seeing life. So, Hebrews chapter 12, I need a volunteer to read verse 10. All right, thank you. 
And somebody read Ecclesiastes 113. All right, so we have a contrast that is being drawn. These are uh, human life, basically, as it looks from two different perspectives, two different observers. They're viewing the same thing. They're viewing the same life in front of them, but they're seeing it in two different ways. And, and we all have that choice. We all have our perspective on how we're going to see life. And so when you read Ecclesiastes... And you see what uh, he has to say. And then you read Hebrews and you see what he has to say. In Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is describing a situation where God is shaping our lives. It's really looking at life from perspective of, well, all right, so there's things that happen in our lives that are really positive. There's things that happen in our lives that seem negative in the moment. Things that happen that seem really hard, things that happen that seem like a burden, like they seem like they're just not going our way. It seems like we're going through it. Whatever, however you want to describe it, that that's how it, what's being described there. But the writer of Hebrews is looking at that through a lens of how God orchestrates our lives in order to bring about good. In other words, yeah, we're going through some things. And we're facing some things, and there's challenges in our lives, and there's things that we need to make our way through. But the writer of Hebrews, and, and from that perspective, God's doing that, God's orchestrating that. I want to say orchestrating that. He's leading that in such a way that we can grow, and so that we can become more like him. We can share in his nature. And, and that's the perspective from Hebrews. Now you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, is seeing life, and he's seeing the same issues. It's the same stuff. And he's looking at the same stuff. What? Trouble. Right. He's looking at the same stuff. Hardship. Right. He's looking at the same stuff. Oh, things aren't going our way. Right. He's looking at all the same stuff that the writer of Hebrews is looking at. Right. So that's not changing. We've got the same situation. The writer of Hebrews is seeing, oh, God's orchestrating things so that I can grow and I can mature and I can be more like him. The writer of Hebrews, do you remember what he said there? I mean, he's seeing just as much trouble as the other guy in, Hebrew, in Hebrews, but the guy in Ecclesiastes, remember what he said there? A That's a heavy burden, right, terrible. So you've got two different ways of seeing this, and, and we have these choices in life how we're going to see things. In other words... You can see life, and I'm not saying that anything has changed between the two lives that are being looked at here. Nothing's different. In other words, there's troubles, right? There's hard times, right? There's good times, right? There's, there's times where we wish it would go a different way, right? Times that it goes our way, right? So those are all realities of life. Those are all things that we all face. And so looking at life, that, that's not what is different. What's different between these two things is the perspective. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, is looking at life, well, this is a huge burden. I've examined life, I've examined the way that we live, I've examined the way people have to, all the stuff we have to go through, and it's an unbearable burden for us to do this. So you got that perspective. Then you got the other perspective, I'm looking at the same 
hardships. I'm looking at the same things, but I'm seeing God's hand in it. I'm seeing God orchestrating things, and I'm seeing my life being formed through it to be more like God. Now, I hope you can see you got two different perspectives. Which one of those in your mind, in your heart, is the more helpful one? Right. And so we have a choice to make. And, and that's really what this verse in Hebrews is about. It's a choice that we can make. It's a choice that we can look at and we can say, all right, well, things aren't always going to go my way. That's correct. Sometimes things are going to be hard in my life. That's right. Sometimes there's going to be things that happen to me that I didn't expect. That's correct also. Things are going to be happening to me that I didn't want to have happened to me, right? I'm going to face difficulties in my life. Yes. All those things are true. And, and those are not surprises. We act like they're surprises, but they're really not. Because the, the way that we look at life and the way that we're going to examine our life in reality is that some days are better than others. Sometimes things go our way, sometimes they don't. Sometimes, uh, you know, people encourage us, sometimes they discourage us. Sometimes situations encourage us, sometimes they discourage us, or whatever you want to say about it. But the overall overreaching perspective, I believe that's more helpful, is what the writer of Hebrews has to say, that, you know, we serve a God that's God of the universe. And the situations and circumstances that happen in our life, you, you can even look at it and say, well, that was totally my fault because I made a bad decision. That's right. But can God use that situation to mold you and make you and to create in you something good that makes you more like him? And the answer is yes. And, and it could be totally your fault that you're going through something. It could be totally a bad decision that you made that puts you in that situation. But the person in this perspective can look at that and say, all right, I messed up. All right. I did the wrong thing. All right. I made a bad decision. Okay. I'm reaping the consequences of what I did. Okay. You are. But I serve a God who's able to take that and able to help me to become more like him through it. And so it's hopeful. That's useful. That has meaning. And so we can take that and understand life with a lot more meaning, not just a random set of events and not just a, a, a one burden to another type thing, not just something that has to be borne out and is terrible all the time. Are things going to go your way all the time? No. Are you going to be you know, all happy and, and joyful all the time? Probably not. But God uses moments and uses times in our life. And you think about the times in your life where you grow the most. A lot of times, the times in your life when you grow the most are the hardest times, not the easiest. Easiest times, it seems like they just fly by. Not a lot of growth in easy times. The real growth that takes place in our life are the hard times. And so by taking a different perspective and by looking at things a little bit differently, by allowing for those hard times as times when God is going to use in times of growth, in times of maturity, in times of making us who he's called us to be, in times of making us more 
in line with and in the image of how we were created in his image. And we see that those times are the times when it is using to do that. It, to me, that helps me to understand them better. And it helps me to, to endure and persist with purpose and meaning. Not just to get by, but to actually grow and actually become something. And to actually change and to see change in my life. So I want to encourage you toward that tonight. That whatever else I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to kind of get into the weeds here with what he's talking about in Hebrews. But as I do that, that's the overreaching idea. And I'll go back to that a few times just to emphasize it or or just to highlight it a little bit as we go. But that's the overreaching idea is that our perspective matters. Our perspective has meaning and affects how we're going to go through the things that we're going to actually face in our life. Because it doesn't really do any good to pretend things aren't happening because they just are. That, that's not the key to this. The key isn't, well, nothing bad ever happens. Well, it does. The key isn't to pretend that everything's great all the time. That kind of self-deception doesn't lead to growth. That kind of self-deception is an issue. That's a mental issue that we that, that, that some of us fight with, is staying in a moment or staying in reality or staying in the present to say, this is what I'm actually seeing, this is what I'm actually going through, this is what I'm actually experiencing, but be able to take the truth of the matter like that and see the good that God is doing through it. And so I hope you can understand that as a different way to see things. I hope you can understand that as a different way to perceive of what's actually happening around you, but to see it honestly. An honest view with purpose. All right, so as we look at this passage of Scripture, it talks about in Hebrews 12.10, there's a, a contrast being drawn here, and it's, it's the human, human versus the divine. And, and it's doing it through an illustration of fathers. And in the verse, it's talking about how a father will discipline a child. Now, I know in some of your Bibles, it won't use the word father because they don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget first time I was, uh, I was, I was on a website. And on the website, uh, they, they were talking about gifts for a certain holiday. Like it was like a normal holiday like Valentine's Day or Father's Day or something, and, and they had an opt-out option in case them sending you emails about gifts for this particular holiday triggers you. What? Yeah. So, like, if you have issues about fathers, then they won't send you Father's Day email about something you can get for your father. Or if you have issues about Valentine's Day because you're brokenhearted about some loser dumping you or something, then you don't have to receive Valentine's Day or whatever it is. You know, like I'm just saying that, that I, that's the first time I encountered that, but that was a number of years ago, and I've seen it more and more as I'm on websites that they, oh, they have the opt-out option in case you get triggered about somebody talking about something that you don't want to hear about. Well, so some of the translators of the Bible do that sometimes where they take out words that, that may be offensive to people, like, you know, father, all right? So some of the versions of the Bible won't use the word father here, but 
the, the contrast being drawn, I have to say it because that's what the actual contrast is, is our earthly fathers are being contrasted with our heavenly father. And the reason I have to say that is because there's something that needs to happen in us about this. And so our earthly father is being contrasted in such a way that he's talking about our earthly father's discipline. And so that's the subject of this verse, is how we were disciplined or how earthly fathers discipline their children. And, and so it's described as being something that is a factor of time. So in other words, for a specific amount of time, our earthly fathers discipline us. <clears throat> so it's a factor of time and it's for whatever purposes that our father has in discipline. So a father will choose to discipline his child for specific reasons usually, and it's for a specific amount of time. So whatever that time frame is, that's what he's going to do. What does that mean, 17 years? I don't know. It's whatever time frame that you're living under the roof of your father and he disciplines you, maybe 15 years, maybe 16 years, maybe 20 years, God help us, maybe 35 years, whatever it is. But it could be, all right? But it's whatever that time frame is, it's a product of whatever that time frame is. So, so his job of discipline is a factor of time and is a factor of his own purposes. What would be some of those purposes? Well, maybe he wants to teach you how to play a sport. And so he'll go outside with you and he will practice that sport with you on a daily basis so that you can learn. Like, like maybe he's going to go out with you and he's going to teach you how to bat. He's going to teach you how to hit a baseball. Or he's going to teach you how to kick a soccer ball. Or he's going to teach you how to hit a volleyball. Or he's going to teach you how to bump or spike or set or whatever it's going to be. But he's going to take you out and he's going to teach you certain things. And there's certain ways that you do that and you have to drill it over and over and over and over again. He's going to teach you how to swing a golf club. Yeah, but it has to be done over and over and over and over again. Now, are children extra excited about doing the same thing over and over and over again? No. no. Why? Because they get bored. That's what children do is they get bored. And so they don't want to do that. But if they're going to learn how to swing a golf club, you got to do it over and over and over again. You're going to learn how to hit a baseball unless you're some kind of a natural you're going to have to practice that, and you're going to have to learn how to do it. If you're going to learn how to field a ball, you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to throw a ball. You're going to have to practice it. You're going to have to kick a ball. You're going to have to practice that. If you want to dribble a soccer ball, you've got to practice that. And so somebody has to go out there and has to take you through the paces in order to do that. So maybe the purposes of that, of that discipline that Father has for you in that moment, for that time frame, is to teach you a skill. Or maybe it's whatever it's going to be. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And I know you're, you know, immediately as soon as I said that, you thought punishment. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about discipline. I'm talking about doing your homework. I'm talking about maybe making sure that you can write. And so you have to go through that. Maybe you know your multiplication tables, if they still do that anymore. That you have to memorize your multiplication tables, 1 through 12. And, and so maybe that, that's what they're going to drill you in every day or whatever it's going to be. But there's a purpose behind it, whatever that purpose is, that, that person's purpose and that father's purpose, and it's for a specific time frame. And so that's the one side of it. And so the contrast to that is our Heavenly Father. 
And our Heavenly Father, His purposes are not a factor of time. In fact, His purposes are eternal. And so there's a bigger picture to what He's doing. Now, as children, it's hard for us to understand that, right? It's hard for us to understand that it's important that we keep drilling the same things over and over again so that we can do it. We're just bored with it and we don't want to do it anymore. We don't see a bigger picture. And, and so as children, it's hard for us to understand. Like, why do I need to know my multiplication tables? I used to hate getting up and going to school. I told my mom I wanted to be a, a garbage man so I didn't have to go to school anymore. Because in my mind, that was more important, not going to school that day, than what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. Or my dad or whoever it was. And so, you know, I, I couldn't see the bigger picture. Well, the contrast here is, okay, well, our father, our earthly father, that, well, he can see a certain distance, right, into the future. And he wants us to develop in a certain way in that distance into the future. Well, our Heavenly Father sees the whole picture and is eternal in what he sees. And so we're kind of in the same situation with him from our perspective. Can we always see the eternal purposes of God in our life through what's going on in our life? No. Do we know what's going to happen at the end? Not necessarily. Do we know why certain things are happening while they're happening in our life? Not really. Maybe we got some idea, maybe we don't. And so <clears throat> there's, a, there's a learning process, a, a process hopefully of building trust with our earthly fathers that over time we can look back and we can say, well, that's why he was doing that. Or that's why he cared about that. Or that's why he, he corrected that behavior or whatever it was. That maybe one day we can see that and begin to understand that and that builds a trust in that. Well, that's the same with our Heavenly Father. That I don't know that we'll ever know, at least not in this lifetime, why certain things have happened. But there should be at least a rudimentary trust that things are happening for my benefit, for my profit, and for my good. That there should be a rudimentary trust in our Heavenly Father that He's looking out for us and that He wants the best for us. That things don't just happen out of spite or malice or, or to fulfill some sick thing, uh, entertainment or whatever. It's not like that. That somehow we begin to look and say, all right, well, there's a bigger thing going on here than I can see. And I'm going to trust that my father knows best and he wants the best for me. And so describing, continuing to describe our earthly fathers said that our earthly father, they discipline their children. It's a basis of time, but it says they do it the best they know how in this verse. And I just want you to keep that in mind. If you got, if you got something against your dad, all right. I'm a little biased. I'm a dad, okay? And, and so all I can say is, and, and you can put this if you're a mom or whatever you want to put this as, guess what? You're doing the best you can. And that's exactly what our, our earthly fathers, you know, this verse is telling us, is that they did the best that they know how. Or, or in other words, what seemed good to them. That's how they disciplined. They wanted to do what seemed right to them. And what's interesting about that is that what seems right 
to me or what seems right to our earthly father or what seems right when we make decisions to us isn't always right, is it? And I, I'm just saying that, uh, and I'm not trying to, to go too deep into this. All I want you to do is think about your own, th- your own self when you've had to make decisions in the past. And you, did, you made the best decision you could, and, <clears throat> and you did what you thought in your mind. At that moment, you did the thing you thought that was the right thing to do. How many times has that been wrong, though? And okay, so you learn from that, and maybe you make a different decision the next time, right? But when your decisions, whatever you thought was right in the moment, affects other people, then that gets multiplied. And so that becomes the issue, say, when you're raising children. When you're raising children, you make the best decision that you can in the moment, and that turns out not to be the best decision. Well, that mistake is then multiplied into the life of someone else. And so there's a contrast here, again, being drawn by our earthly fathers doing, uh, doing the best that they can. What? To teach us for today, for school, for work, for sport, uh, for whatever. But it has to do with their own personal thoughts. It has to do with their own pe- peculiarities. It has to do with their own uh, ideas and concepts of the way things work. And that's kind of like true for us. That whatever situation we find ourselves in, we're making the best decision we can. But those decisions are based on things that we think. They're based on our experiences. They're based on, a lot of times, peculiarities that have to do with us. Things that we, th- we think that aren't true. Things that we think that aren't quite right. Or things that we think that don't quite work out or don't quite mesh together. Well, those are those kind of things. Well, that's the idea here, is that we've had fathers, our, our earthly fathers, they, they, they're going to discipline us based on what? Based on what they think. Well, what if what they think is kind of off? Well, then that affects us, right? Yeah. What if what they think was not exactly right? Well, then that's multiplied into our lives. And that's just a reality. And, and I'm, so I'm not, and, and I hope you kind of hear me, I'm trying to include us in this because I want you to understand how easy it is to do that. I want you to think about that for a second, how easy that's been in your life. Now, take that and apply it to somebody else's life and see how that multiplies. It's just messed up. So, but that's the reality of it. The contrast to that is that we have a heavenly father. And our heavenly father is never wrong. He's always right. And so when things happen and think we go through things and things that, that we wouldn't have done are, are happening around us and all the rest of that stuff, he's orchestrating things in our life to grow us and mature us and make us. Okay, And this is where there's a break and a new trust has to be built with him. You cannot look at your life, and, and this drives me crazy when people do this, and just look and say, well, I'm just going to blame God for this. There's no blame. None. And that's, what's trying, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here, is that this is a contrast. In other words, you've got an earthly father. Okay, your earthly father's going to mess up. 
That's it. That's, that's guaranteed. It's guaranteed he's going to mess up. And so you can look at that honestly and say, okay, the guy messed up. And it affected me negatively, and I'm still dealing with that or whatever's going on in your life. Okay, gotcha. But our Heavenly Father isn't like that. And so there has to come a point where that breaks. In other words, okay, he messed up. That's what's happened. I'm still dealing with it. That's been multiplied into my life. My Heavenly Father never messes up. And so allow him to build a trust that is absolute. It's absolute. Because as long as we're arguing with him, we're not growing. And I mean that. If you want to just keep arguing with him about how he's wrong, it's going to be hard to grow. What he's looking for in us is a trust, a love, a, a, a real, just a, a confidence that he, he's doing things for our profit, for our good. And it's from that perspective that life becomes less of a burden and becomes more of an adventure. The life becomes less of a, a thing to be just somehow just, just you got to stagger through it. Maybe you'll make it to the end to, wow, I wonder what new thing, I wonder what great thing, I wonder what awesome thing is going to happen in my life as a result of whatever it is we're going through today. And having a, an expectation for those kind of better things to take place in us and through us. So, as I said before, like I, our earthly fathers were not always right. That's okay. And it, it's, it's a human liability to make mistakes. That is, that's a human liability. Including you. Including me. And so our, heaven, so, so our earthly fathers had the human liability of making mistakes, just like we do. It just got multiplied into our lives. But our Heavenly Father, he, he doesn't have that. He does not have that. So our Heavenly Father is going to always seek our profit. And I've been using a phrase over the last number of months about suffering and about when things, when we perceive things not going our way. And it's funny, during the prayer emphasis, we were praying through this, and we used this phrase as part of the prayer emphasis, and somebody was praying it, and, and another person that was in the room who doesn't come to Monday Night Bible Study came up to me afterwards and said, what do you mean by that? And he repeated the phrase back to me, and the phrase is this, suffering is from my Father and from my good. And he's like, what do you mean by that? And so I just took some time and I said, okay, well, this is what I mean by that. I mean that there's situations in our life and there's circumstances in our life and there's things that are going to happen in our life. Whether or not you know, we caused it, somebody else caused it, it just happened, however it happens in our life, there's, those things are going to happen. But the perspective that we're praying for and the perspective we want to live in and the perspective that we want to maintain in our life is that this is ultimately for my good, my maturing. This is ultimately for my growth. It's ultimately for me to be more like Jesus. It's for my profit. 
that there is always a purpose from that perspective in pain. Always. And so what this begins to do, this begins to develop in us, at least it's supposed to, a persevering and obedience that can persevere. In other words, I'm going to do what God tells me whether I understand it or not. I'm going to do what God tells me whether things are going my way or it isn't. I'm going to do what God tells me whether or not uh, everything is on my side or everything's not on my side. I'm just going to persevere in my obedience because I believe God is always seeking my profit and my good. And so I will persevere. And I believe that is what God is building in us. And I think that you, you look at the context of this verse in Hebrews, and as you look at the context of it, I want you to think about it in those terms. How that's what he's looking to develop in a church that in, in a group of Christians they're facing what? Persecution? Yeah. What else are they facing? Facing death? They're losing their homes? Got people chasing them through the countryside? They're facing arrest? They're being driven from their hometowns? Being driven out of the region where they've grown up and everything that they've known because of their faith? And he's talking to him. he's saying, this is for our good? Yeah. This is for our growth? Yeah. This is so we can be more like Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, we, don't, we can't even, we don't even have that perspective, right? And we're not being driven around, like driven out of our homes and stuff because we believe in Jesus. You know, they were. And so there's a verse like this is talking to people that are really facing it. They're, they're not just facing people not liking them. Are people making fun of them or something like that? These are people that their lives are on the line. Their, their livelihoods, their, their homes, their stuff, their families are on the line because they believe in Jesus. That's who he's writing to. And he's like, all right, so what's God developing in you through all this? A persevering obedience. That I, I really believe no matter what I'm facing, no matter what life is looking like right this second, because it ain't always looking good all the time. Whatever's looking like right this second is for my good. So I'm be more like Jesus. There's purpose behind it. There's a reason behind it. So I brought up the whole thing about your earthly father, because he did. But I think he brings that up for a reason. I think that some of us had great experiences with our dads. Um, that's good. Hold on to that. Some of us didn't have great experiences with our dad. I'll talk to you in a second. And some of us didn't have a dad around, which is more and more common with people. They just don't have a dad, really, that's part of their life. I mean, he might be out there somewhere, and we might know his name, but we just never met him. Like, like I, never, I never met, for example, I'm an example of that. I never met my my, uh, what do they call that? Birth father. Never met him, ever in my life. Uh, I had an adopted father that helped raise me, and so I did have an experience with a dad. But I never met my birth father. 
And so this creates a certain thing in us that we need to deal with, I believe, if we're going to be effective in understanding our Heavenly Father. And I just wrote it down on the page here, and all it says is this, is that this becomes a matter of forgiveness in our life. That somehow we need to pray into it and say, I want to forgive my dad. What does that mean? Well, if you had a great relationship with your dad, maybe I'm not talking to you right this second. Maybe I am. I don't know. Because he's going to make mistakes, right? We all make mistakes. We're, that's the human condition. We're prone to mistakes. We're liable to mistakes. But I'm going to forgive my dad. I'm going to forgive my dad for the, the bad decisions that he made. I'm going to forgive my dad for not being there. I'm going to forgive my dad for not taking care of me the way he should have. Or I'm going to forgive my dad for not being patient with me. I'm going to forgive my dad for being too rough. I'm going to forgive my dad for being whatever he was. And I know I'm just saying it like it's easy, and it's not easy. I'm not trying to make it easy. All I'm trying to say is that somehow that needs to happen. And the only way I know how to do that, because when I've had to forgive people in my life, when it's been really hard, is just to go and say it. And just say it. I forgive my dad. I forgive my mom. And, and I can remember when I was going through this process, I would just sit there. I was Every day I'd be driving to and from work. And, and part of my prayer to and from work every single day is I want to forgive my dad. I want to forgive whoever it was. And, and I would just do that as I was going. And then I could be coming home. I just want to forgive my dad on my way home. And it just happened over and over again. And I'd like to say, man, I was able to do it once and it was done. It wasn't. And how did I know when it was done? I don't know. There came a day when I was praying that and I was saying, I just want to forgive my dad. And it just occurred to me, I do. Finally. Finally. Why? I don't know. Did he do anything to deserve it? No, he never will. Did he, did he earn that? Nope, he never will. But something released in me. And that's really what needed to happen. Because once I could release that, then I was free to trust a father, a heavenly father, that never makes a mistake and really believe that. I was free to trust a heavenly father that never makes a bad decision and believe that. And, and a Heavenly Father never works off a bad motive. And believe that. And a Heavenly Father never you know, is, is just mean to me. And believe that. And live in a reality that God has for us to live in. Without me constantly being pulled back by the mistakes and the shortcomings of a human then in reality, probably just did his best and was just terrible at it. I don't want to be held back in my relationship with my Father in Heaven because a guy who did his best probably just fell short. And so I need to forgive. And I need to release that. And I need to let go of it. And if it takes a year of me saying that every day, then I'm going to do it. 
If it takes two years, I'm going to do it. If it takes three years, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it until I can pray it and think, that's the case. That's true. I forgive that guy. Because I got a whole eternity to live. So three years ain't going to matter. You know, let's say I did it a thousand times in three years. I skipped a few days, right? But a thousand times in three years, you do the math. And, and, I, and so I got a release on that. Well, how worth it? How worth it for eternity? I don't want to live like that. I don't want to carry that around. I want to trust my Father in heaven. I want to trust that he's looking out for me. He's, he's got the best for me. I want to trust that he's, that things are happening in my life and I could see life and not be bitter. And I could see life and not be just disappointed all the time. And I could see life and understand, well, good, bad things happen, right? Whatever. It's all for the good though. And really mean it. Instead of just constantly being disappointed, complaining about stuff. It's going to happen anyway, whether I complain about it or not. But to really see it as productive. And, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a statement here, which is kind of a weird statement, but I want, if you can hear it, you can hear it. And it was, it was a statement I read in a commentary about this verse. It was some guy, you know, back in the 1800s. He, he made this statement. He said, maybe... And he used the word maybe. He's like, well, maybe a true meaning of life is discipline. Maybe. And it's kind of an interesting thought that we live this life, and in this life we're taught stuff. We live this life, and in this life we're given an opportunity to grow and to mature and to become. And those are all matters of discipline to learn and to grow and to mature. Those are all matters of discipline. And that God puts us here and gives us this life for his reasons. And maybe that's just a big part of his reasons. And so that we can mature. Maybe it's a big part of his reasons for us being here so that we can grow and that we can learn and we can learn what it is to share life together. You know, you're going to be sharing life with people for eternity. So you got like 70 years to kind of figure your way through it right now. Because all of a sudden it's just going to be all the time, 24-7. And, and if you're sitting there like, man, I hate people. Well, you got time still to kind of get over that a little bit. Because we're going to have a lot of time together later. And, and so if that frightens you, I understand. But, but this is our opportunity for change. And this is our opportunity for growth. And this is our opportunity to become. And this is our opportunity to, to see our lives more and become more than they are right now. But that's discipline. And, and that whole idea, and discipline is not a bad word. It, it's, it gives a purpose to pain. It gives a purpose to adverse circumstances. It gives a purpose to things not going our way. It gives a purpose to, to stuff getting in our way. It gives it a purpose. It even gives a purpose to stuff that happened in the past that wasn't positive. It wasn't good. You know, people that know my past, you know that I came out of certain things that, that were not good at all. 
especially for little kids and stuff that I came out of. But what has happened through that is over the years, I've had to process and go through a process with that, but I can help other people process and go through a process with those kind of things too. It opens up a door of ministry and common ground. And so there was a purpose for it. There's not just some random thing that happened in my life that I'm some horrid victim of. But it was actually, there's a purpose because God redeems everything for the good. I mean, for the Bible to make an all-inclusive statement like this, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. All things. You mean those things? Even those things. It puts a purpose into even those things. And that's the truth. And so maybe a true meaning of life is discipline. See, he wants us to partake in him. The end of this verse says this, so that we can partake in his holiness or his nature, his being. He wants us to be like him because that's how he created us. In the beginning, he formed us from the dust of the ground he breathed the breath of life into his breath into us. Understand that. And then we became a living soul. And, and God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. He wants us to be like him. That's how he created us. That was his intent in his creation was for us to be like him. And whether or not we messed it up, which we did, whether or not we rebelled against it, which we have, whether or not we made other decisions that we were going to be something else, which we did, it doesn't change his intended purposes for our lives. And so as we become more in line and we put ourselves more in line through this life, which a purpose of this life is discipline, we place ourselves in a position to be more like him to fulfill his creative purpose in our life. Now, you look at the whole idea of holiness, and it scares us. Holiness is a scary thing. But somebody read 2 Peter 1.4. 2 Peter 1.4. All right, so what, what's he saying? That we can what? Participate in what? The divine nature. All right, so now understand that verse. I mean, just even rudimentarily understand that verse. You don't, you don't have to dig into it very deep, all right? Just in a rudimentary fashion, understand what he says there. He desires for and has provided a way for us to participate in the divine nature. 
Why? Because he created us that way. Why? Because that was his intent from the start. And so we're given the opportunity to do that. How? What we're talking about tonight. This is the, the process by which God forms us, makes us, and gives us opportunity to participate and partake in him. So life and, and, and true meaning in our lives, true happiness in our lives, true purpose in our lives, those types of big, big philosophical questions, it's not measured in terms of ease. And if you get this, if you get this one thing, this could help you a lot. Purpose, what God has for us. This is a big philosophical question, right? It's in, in this verse. He talks. It's not measured in ease, and, and we measure it in ease. Like how easy is our life? Oh, then life is good. Now it's measured. In tears and joy. And they're both life. And they're both things that God will use to mold us and make us into who he has for us to be. To participate and partake in the divine nature. True meaning is found in hard times and good times. True meaning is found in things going our way and not going our way. True meaning is found in tears and also found in joy. And if we can get a bigger perspective and see things in that bigger perspective and live in that bigger perspective, that puts us in a position to actually change and partake in the life that God has for us. So I want to encourage you toward that. Maybe some of you are being held up because you just don't trust. Well, all I can say is forgive. To me, that's the first and most important step in learning to trust your Heavenly Father is to forgive whoever's hurt you. I don't know who that is. Maybe your dad. I don't know. But I do know forgiveness is a key component to trusting that our Father's looking out for us in heaven. So maybe that's where you start tonight. Or maybe tonight you start with, I'm going to see things. I don't want to see things like the writer of Ecclesiastes. I want to see things like the writer of Hebrews. And maybe you make a decision to shift your perspective a little bit tonight. I don't know. But I do trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into the place that he has for us. To lead you and guide you to that place of seeing things in a bigger way, understanding things in a bigger way, of trusting your Heavenly Father, of trusting the process that he has you in, of trusting that you're partaking and participating in the divine nature. As you love him, you trust him, and... You live in him more and more in your life. I do know that. Heavenly Father, I pray for us tonight, and I, I ask that, I just ask that wherever we're at in this process, that we would find a place of trust, 
but find a place of faith and love for you. And if that means we got to leave some things behind that we've been carrying around, some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some anger toward those that have hurt us, I pray, God, that we'd start a process tonight of letting go of that and getting rid of that out of our life. Because I pray that you'd set us free. And I pray that you'd begin to set your people, set your sons, set your daughters free tonight from the things from the past and the things that are still holding on to them and the things that are still hurting them. I pray that you'd set us free in Jesus' name. I pray forgiveness. I pray cleansing. I pray, Lord God, a grace to fall on us. I pray a mercy to fall on us. I pray, God, that there would just be just big, big love toward those that have done us wrong. Because that, that's a mark of the gospel, is loving people that didn't love us. Or loving people that had a hard time loving us. Or loving people that hurt us. Or loving people that took advantage of us. Or, or loving people that maybe treated us unkindly. But that's Jesus. And so I just pray more, Jesus. God, I thank you that you have our best in your heart. I thank you that no matter what we're facing, that it's being used by you for our good and our growth and our life. I thank you that no matter what we're facing today, that we're in the midst of a process of change, of being made more like Jesus. That no matter what it is that we're going through right now, that we're in a process of change, of sharing in the divine nature, partaking in the divine nature. I thank you that no matter what it is that is going our way or isn't going our way right now, you're using it to shape us and mold us. You're using it, God, to draw us. Make us more like you. So we thank you for that. I pray for our perspective to shift. I pray for our point of view to shift. I pray for the way we see things to shift. And I ask God that you just give us a bigger picture, a bigger understanding. And I pray through that a bigger heart and a bigger life give you thanks tonight for your love. I give you thanks tonight for your patience. I give you thanks tonight for your grace. I give you thanks tonight for taking care of us and wanting the best for us. Continue to have your way in us. Continue to grow us. Continue to mature us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. God bless you. See you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. 
My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Well, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 